You're listening to the Word of Life AG podcast. Do you ever think about heaven and eternity? This week, Pastor Tom began a series simply entitled Heaven. If you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. That's wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church or even check out some next steps. We're so glad you're getting caught up on the message. Let's get right into it. Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you were able to come and be a part of service. Also want to make sure I give a a massive shout out to everyone that's watching at home. I know that the weather has, um, you know, caused a number of you to want to sort of stay home and stay off the road. And so, so glad you're able to come be a part of service online. So can we just, those of us in the room, come on, let's welcome everybody that's online and uh, believing you're going to be blessed today by everything going on. Uh, This is a busy church, as you would have heard from church news as uh, Megan was up here sort of sharing some announcements and things that are coming up. We're a busy church. There's lots of ways for you to get involved, be a part of things. Uh, The hope is that we are not a church where people breeze in and then breeze out. We hope that you make some meaningful relationships and friendships here, that this is a place that you can belong. Um, So there's a number of ways you can do that, as you would have already heard, including 20s, 30s lunch. That was pretty good. Last time we did this, it was rubbish. That was pretty good. All right. We'll dial it up in February. (laughs) Uh, But for the young adults here at the church, over Elizabeth Street, it's the building just over the road here, going to hang out and have some lunch together. There's a great group of people, so I encourage you to do so. If you're kind of the shy kind of person, I promise you won't be the only shy kind of person, Um, but it's a great way for you to meet a few people here at the church. Um, And I also wanted to say, we do have a small group ministry here at the church. One of the small groups that's running right now is the one that Megan and I are leading together. It's on Wednesday nights at 6.30. We've got a great group of people that come together. There's a book that we're going through. We can get you all the information, all that stuff, but um, I just wanted to put that out, that there's an open invitation for anyone that's looking to be a part of a small group. Uh, Megan and I would love to have you join us uh, here on Wednesday night. So head to the website or head to the info desk. You can get more information about that, but I just wanted to make sure I put that in front of the church. Um, I'm going to start a series today, as we've already talked about, on the subject and the whole thought and the idea and the questions surrounding heaven. And I have to let you know that this kind of all kind of was inspired and sort of spurred from a series of conversations I had with a friend of mine, um, someone who many of you all know very well, Dan Dullen. And Dan has, been, uh, Dan has been a member of this church for many, many years. And his wife, Annette, passed away a little over a year ago. And so in my conversations with Dan, he's telling me about um, some books that he's reading and, uh, you know, the thoughts that he's sort of processing and the, the way that he's sort of, sort of trying to make sense of things, you know, after his wife has passed has really inspired me. And through my conversations with him, I thought, you know, we really should bring this to the church. Um, you know, as I was preparing this week and trying to get ready for this morning and trying to get some ideas for the, the series, it kind of dawned on me that uh, as I was sort of looking on YouTube and other places to find sermons or lectures on heaven, uh, in the modern church, we sing a lot more worship songs about heaven than we preach sermons about heaven. Um, Now, there's nothing wrong, of course, with singing worship songs about heaven or heaven being included in worship songs, but it did get me thinking, perhaps we should talk about this a bit more. Perhaps we should preach a bit more about heaven. Uh, I also wanted to make sure I put in front of you that there is a book that I've been reading that has been extremely helpful. Um, It's steady. It's solid. Someone just methodically and carefully walks through the scriptures that talk about heaven. It's by a guy uh, called Randy Alcorn. Um, It's simply called Heaven. I can't recommend this um, enough. 
It's a solid resource. Like I say, he sort of just carefully um, and respectfully walks through the Scriptures and sort of uh, really sort of helps make sense of what the Bible has to say about heaven. And a lot of what he shares in the book will definitely be included in the next few weeks. But we are going to be in this series looking through the idea and the questions around heaven and eternity and what we should expect and why this should be the cause of hope for believers. And this isn't a topic that we should shy away from. The message of Jesus is a message about eternity. The topic of heaven can certainly seem daunting, but if we simply look through the Bible and even the book that I mentioned, it can help us walk through the Scriptures, we can gain a helpful perspective on heaven. We can gain a helpful perspective on eternity and eternal life and the kingdom of God and what happens when we die and what heaven will be like and so on. And this topic is definitely relevant. It's on our minds. The book of Ecclesiastes say that God has planted eternity in the human heart. God has planted eternity in the human heart. And I'm sure that we can all identify with that. Most of us have lost someone close to us and that often inspires questions and reflections on eternity whether it's thinking about others who died before us or our own sense of mortality, the hunger and questions about eternity are very real. And we'll continue this over the next few weeks, and we certainly won't cover all of it today. But we are going to look at some of the larger questions, and then next week I want to start getting into some more of the finer details. But I wanted to give us a starting point, and a starting point that I think is helpful is this, that the kingdom of heaven is the ultimate story of restoration. As we consider this whole topic of heaven and eternity, the, the starting point I want to put to you is that the kingdom of heaven is the ultimate story of restoration. And if you think about the, the process and the whole idea and the whole concept of restoration, you think about whether it's someone restoring a piece of furniture or you know, some expert restoring a painting that started to fade over time or whether someone's restoring a house. Whenever, whatever the process may be, there was an original design and there was an original creation and then some sort of damage came in. There was an accident, or maybe just over time things started to go wrong, and it takes effort, it takes time, it takes intentionality to restore something. And for the ultimate restoration that we're talking about, it means that something of profound significance needs to have been lost or broken. And when God created the universe, it was perfect. Humanity was the pinnacle, and out of all creation, humanity alone was made to be God's image bearer. God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they had a perfect relationship with God the Creator and a perfect relationship with each other. They had everything they needed. There was meaningful work. There was no pain and no death. In the Garden of Eden, as long as they stayed within God's boundaries, they could enjoy creation completely problem-free. No sin, no conflict, no strife, no suffering. The man and woman enjoyed a perfect relationship both with each other and a perfect relationship with God. It's so far removed from the life that we experience every day that I would say it's impossible to comprehend. But that was how creation and humanity began in complete perfection. In the garden, out of all the countless trees, there were two that held special significance in the middle and the center of the garden. One was the tree of life, the source of nourishment and sustenance. The other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This was the tree that they were told to stay away from. This was the only condition, the only boundary placed on humanity. The temptation was to have knowledge of right and wrong, good and evil, and that may seem strange, but essentially this temptation was to have a sense of morality or justice and a worldview outside of God, 
At its core, to hold the knowledge of good and evil is a rejection of God because it is us, humanity, saying to God, I don't need you to guide me or to determine how I should live. I'm going to figure out. I'm going to use my best judgment. I will decide good and evil. It's a rejection of God's authority, and consequently, it's a disruption of the relationship. The devil's hook that pulled Eve in was, if you eat this, you will be like God. You'll be able to navigate the things that only God is supposed to navigate. You won't need Him. And that temptation, it continues to plague humanity to this day. Adam and Eve were exploited by the devil, and they both succumbed to the false promise that this is going to lead to happiness and good things. They had perfection, a perfect relationship with God, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect creation to enjoy and to tend to. The devil was unable to improve on that. It was a complete lie. But here, the temptation to eat the fruit, it's not for the sake of the fruit or something to eat, but the temptation is the lie and the false promise that if you eat it, you'll be like God. If you eat it, you won't need him. Adam and Eve eat the fruit, and they find out the devil was lying. They felt guilt and shame for the first time. Their innocence was lost, and they became aware that they were naked. They realized their relationship with God was distorted. They had pushed God aside and ate, meaning that what they wanted to do was decide the right and wrong, good and bad, worthy and evil, truth and lies without him. Very quickly, they realized that they were unable and unqualified to do this. They had rejected God, and hastily they sewed fig leaves together to make clothes and tried to hide. And while they're hiding, God comes and tells them the consequences of what they've done and the curse that is now upon the devil, upon humanity, and upon creation. We see this in Genesis 3:17. And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you'll struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow will you have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Then the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who live. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Then the Lord God said, look, the human beings have become like us, knowing both good and evil. What if they reach out, take fruit from the tree of life and eat it? Then they will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the land from which he had been made. Now what we just read, it describes life as we know it. Life is difficult and unfair. Everything seems hard. Everything seems like it's hard work. And at the end of it all, we're not even sure if it's worth it. There's endless fights and discussions about what's good and evil. This has been the human condition ever since the moment Adam and Eve threw away paradise. Since then, the world has continued to be unjust and people have fought for power. There has been an unbridgeable gap between God and humanity. People have been fueled by selfishness and impulsivity. The next few chapters of Genesis, if you take a few minutes and read on, you'll see the problem of sin only compounds and gets worse and worse over time. Paul would write this to help people understand the message of Jesus in Romans 5. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. And all of this, it means that something was lost. Something was broken. And what was it that was lost? I'll put to you four things today. The first thing, what was lost is enjoying creation. 
our relationship with God, eternal life, and innocence. But the Bible is a redemption story. In a very simplistic way, the Bible and the message of Jesus is the story of how what was lost can be returned. What was broken can be mended. What was destroyed can be repaired. We all understand the curse of Genesis 3. We see it daily. We see violence, war, depravity, injustice, cruelty, selfishness, hopelessness, abuse, addiction, dysfunction, and greed. We have seen the curse and the consequence of rejecting God unfold throughout human history. We have all seen the consequences of sin on a massive international scale and in the details of our day-to-day personal lives. But this is a redemption story. In the final book of the Bible, it points us to the eternity that God has prepared for us. From the book of Revelation, no longer will there be any curse upon anything. No longer will there be a curse upon anything. The Bible tells us how the consequence of the curse is being undone. The message of Jesus is about the effects of the curse being stripped away. What was lost is being given back. What was ruined is being fixed. The Bible weaves a story of redemption and restoration and a return to what had been lost. God created humanity for the perfect place for us to forgive, uh, for, uh, to live forever, and that was ruined. Earth was perfect but God is restoring and repairing and returning what was lost. When John the Baptist declares that Jesus is taking on the sin of the world, it means that Jesus is taking on the complete consequence and punishment of the fall of humanity, including each and every impact of the curse. When we say that Jesus paid the price, there is no way to comprehend what he did. The work of Jesus on the cross not only has personal implications for you and I in our everyday lives, but it has eternal cosmological impacts, not only for a lifetime, but for eternity. So as we consider heaven and eternity, possibly the most helpful way for us to gain insight is to question and reflect on what has been lost, what has been distorted or ruined because of the fall, what was included in the curse that sin brought upon creation, what's something unjust that needs a remedy, What's something good that is distorted or ruined? And all these questions start to paint a picture of what heaven will be like. The imagination will not be able to give us a whole picture, but it's a starting point. And as I shared earlier, the kingdom of heaven is the ultimate story of restoration. And what was lost? Enjoying creation, our relationship with God, eternal life, and innocence. So if the kingdom of heaven is the ultimate story of restoration... What is it that will be restored? Well, what's fully restored in heaven is firstly a restoration of creation, the restoration of our relationship with God, the restoration of our bodies, and the restoration of innocence. When Jesus came, he initiated his eternal kingdom. His achievement on the cross meant this restoration was launched, and we see the start of this redemption. We see moments where the kingdom of God is seen and experienced here on earth as we await for Jesus' return. Here and now, we can enjoy the splendor and wonder of creation. Here and now, we can have a restored relationship with God. We can pray and see miracles and physical healings happen. We can repent and embrace the sanctification and leave sin and selfishness behind. But in eternity, in heaven, it will be beyond what we experience right now, even as redeemed followers of Jesus. It will be complete and permanent. Creation will be more beautiful than we can describe Our relationship with God will be constant and deeper and complete. There'll be no more dying or sickness or bodily decay. 
There'll be no more wickedness or sin or guilt or shame. As part of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches His followers how to pray and includes the well-known phrase, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is one of many verses that give this picture that there's heaven and then there's earth. So heaven and earth. And heaven, of course, is where God dwells for eternity. And earth and the universe that God created that has become affected and corrupted by sin. But we're told about the kingdom of God coming and coming of the kingdom of Jesus. And he tells his followers to pray. And it talks about this merging of the two. The coming of the kingdom means that the realities of heaven will become the realities of earth. There will be an overlapping. The kingdom of heaven and earth will overlap Right now, because Jesus initiated this kingdom that he has launched, it means that the overlap has begun, that we can be a part of on earth as it is in heaven. But one day, that overlap will be completed. One day, on earth as it is in heaven will be complete, and heaven and earth will be indistinguishable. Because one day, God's redemption will be complete, and that is our eternity. And the first thing I want to put to you about our eternal home is that it won't be in a cloud. There won't be naked babies with harps. It won't be in a spiritual realm outside of space and time. It will be in a redeemed and restored creation. From the book of Isaiah, look, I am granting new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation. From Second Peter, but we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. Now there's two ways, I suppose, of understanding a new heaven and a new earth. Either God is going to create a new creation for us to dwell in for eternity, or He is going to renew the current creation. Either way, the promise is that heaven and creation will be in harmony. I'll spend more time on this next week, but we often think of heaven as somewhere else that's where we'll spend eternity. It's out there somewhere, but the Bible teaches us that those redeemed by God will spend our eternity on a restored and redeemed new earth. And remember that this is a redemption story. When God created the universe, He declared it good. Humanity was wired and designed to live forever. It was sin that ruined everything. And part of the redemption story is the restoration of creation itself. What will be restored in the eternal kingdom of heaven? Firstly, creation. Creation. We can learn a lot about our eternal home simply by considering creation around us. Heaven is described as having mountains and rivers and plant life. When God created the world, it was perfect. And we can look around at the beauty and the splendor of creation and we can learn something about our eternal home. God made this to be good. And this good is going to be made better permanently and eternally in the kingdom of heaven. But we can learn something about what heaven is going to look like, sound like, feel like, simply by looking all around us, learning from creation. How can this be redeemed? It will start to spark our imagination about what heaven will be like. And what's the most important thing about the new heavens and the new earth? It's a fully restored and healed and reconciled relationship with God Almighty. From John 14, Jesus says this, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. For years, I really do mean years, I would either read this scripture, I would hear this scripture, and even though I knew what it said, no one comes to the Father except through me, but what I would hear and internalize is that no one gets to heaven except through me. 
And I would look at this scripture and I view this scripture to talk about the exclusive nature of Jesus, that He and He alone is the way to heaven, which is of course true, but that's not what He's teaching in this verse. What He's teaching is no one gets to the Father. First and foremost is a reconciled, healed relationship with God the Father. That's what's broken. That's what's caused all the problems. That's what's the consequence of sin, is that severed relationship with the Father. We can even think about this in human terms. If you had a broken relationship with somebody and they wanted to kind of be polite friends again simply so they could come to your house and eat the food from your fridge and swim in your pool, not today. But if that was a human relationship, we would all say, that's not healthy, that's not right, they're just using somebody. We would all get that, that that's not right. And it's exactly the same with God the Father. Our healed, restored relationship with Him is first and foremost, me and you, we're good. And once we're good, of course you can come in the house. Of course you get fridge privileges. Of course you can put your feet up on the coffee table. You're part of the family. But first is that healed relationship. We see this modeled out with the prodigal son. The prodigal son doesn't come home and enjoy the house, but still have that broken relationship with the father. But instead, the father runs to the son, fixes the relationship, and then throws a huge party and ushers him into the house as a restored son. This is the essence of the gospel, that the broken relationship between God and humanity can be restored, that all wrongdoing can be forgiven. And I struggled with this thought this week because I preach regularly and I believe that we can be made right with God here on earth. So why and how can it be different in heaven? We live in the fullness of Christ. All believers are made right and are in right standing with God. What would be different about our relationship with God in heaven? And as I thought about this, I realized that even though my relationship with God is healed and restored because of Jesus, that I can be close and counted as a child of God, the relationship still needs to be completely restored, not because of the absolute perfect holy God, but because of me. In terms of my relationship with God, the problem is not God, He's perfect, He's holy. There's nothing that can be done to improve God, but I'm still a mess. Simply put, in heaven, I won't get in the way. I'll no longer bring my imperfections to the relationship. Here on earth, there's no problem with the way God speaks, but my listening isn't very good. Here on earth, there's no problem with the amount of love that God has for me, but I'm not always good at receiving love or responding with love. Here on earth, there's no problem with God's goodness towards me, but there's a big problem with my selfishness. In heaven, our relationship becomes perfect because of the change that will happen in us. A silly example that I thought of is um, when I first got married 15 years ago. Uh, by the way, it's Megan's birthday today. And she loves attention. Yep. When we first got married, um, I, I just carried on being myself. And uh, us British, we, we wear slippers inside the house. The idea of being barefoot inside your home is, no, it's not going to happen. Um, you know, no, I don't care if you got socks on, even the socks with the grips on, no, you need slippers, like real honest bona fide slippers. I've brought my three American children slippers. They don't wear them as much as they should, but us British wear slippers. So as soon as I set foot in the house, it doesn't matter what day of the week, it doesn't matter what's been going on, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I'm in the house for 20 minutes or the rest of the night, it does not matter. As soon as I get in the house, kick my shoes off, put my slippers on. Um, when I first got married, I wasn't too concerned about where my shoes ended up. I have now learned 
that that is not how it should be. <laughs> Similarly, um, I like to uh, do message preparation. And when we first got married, we were still in Bible college, and I would like to do studying at home, and the natural place to do it would be at the dining room table. Um, and so I was very much, I had multiple books going on at once, and, you know, Bibles open and commentaries, and my laptop was there. Um, and I, I would want it to stay that way until I was able to get back to my studies tomorrow. I also learned that is not the best way to have a dining room table. So I made some changes, and it improved my marriage. Megan did not change one bit, but I did, and it helped the relationship. That's it. I, I, why are you clapping for me putting my shoes away? My gosh. But anyway, <laughs> gosh, I know it's a silly example, but as we talk about this idea of in heaven, in eternity, our relationship with God being perfected, we should recognize and we should acknowledge He's not going to change at all. He's not going to improve because he can't. He's perfect and holy and awesome. There is nothing that we could ever even daydream about that would improve God. He is perfect. However, we will change. We will be perfected. And consequently, it will improve our relationship with God in heaven. Not because he is adjusted, but because we have been perfected once and for all. The absolute holiness and perfection of God is so intense that humanity in our brokenness, we cannot handle it. God's total perfection and complete power and majesty is too much perfection for imperfect people to withstand. This story from the life of Moses shows this. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name Yahweh before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. Lord, continue. Look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen." Now, Moses is one of the truly great biblical heroes. It says elsewhere that he spoke to God as you would a friend. He's such a hero that it's worth naming your second son after him. And even he couldn't see the face of God. But in heaven, we're cleaned up. Our imperfections are taken away. God does not and cannot become more holy or perfect or awesome or loving, but in heaven, we are restored so we can continue our relationship with God without us getting in the way. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face. What will be restored in the eternal kingdom of heaven? Secondly, our relationship with God, not because God needed to change, but because of our change that will be completed. The third thing to be restored, what will be restored in the eternal kingdom of heaven? Number three, our bodies. We see this when Jesus is resurrected, his body is restored and healed, but we will also have new bodies in heaven. This is a passage from 2 Corinthians. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, for we will put on heavenly bodies, we will not be spirits without bodies. 
While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, he has given us the Holy Spirit. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. Now, I don't know the mechanics of how this new heavenly spiritual body is going to work. I don't feel any pressure to have to figure out how the Lord is going to do it. I do know that some church traditions throughout history have said that you cannot get cremated because they thought it would affect this new heavenly body. And even some church traditions have demanded that if somebody is an amputee, they have to be buried next to the limb that was amputated. I don't believe for a moment that a person's physical body being cremated or amputation or any other destruction that may happen to the body, I don't think that will impede the promises of God. But when we think about our new heavenly bodies, there's a few things I do think we should focus on. Firstly, that they won't decay. Secondly, there's no death. There's no sickness. The new heavenly bodies will be stronger and healthier than any human under the curse has ever been. I think in keeping with the idea of restoration, our heavenly bodies will look like us, we'll be able to recognize each other, but they will last forever, far healthier than anyone has ever experienced in the fallen world. These new bodies will endure eternity. One of the things I've often thought about when thinking about the death of a loved one is how alien and how foreign and even unnatural grief and mourning feels to us. It's worth remembering that we are not built or designed or hardwired or created to live alongside death. We are created and designed and lovingly fashioned to live forever with one another. If we all evolved over millions of years from primate animals, then we've had millions of years to learn to accept and adapt to be okay with loss and grief, but we're not. When a loved one dies, it affects us deeply. It requires healing to get up and start living life without them. There are many that struggle for decades and even the rest of their lives to recenter themselves after the death of a loved one. And it's an insight, it's a reminder that we are not built or designed to exist with death. A veteran wrestling with PTSD, the tears at a funeral, the feeling of loss every time a birthday comes around, it's a reminder that we are not wired for death. We have not evolved as creatures that should be able to handle this. We were lovingly created to live forever and in heaven that will be restored, specifically in our physical bodies. As we take our place in the renewed creation, in completely healed and perfect relationship with God, in a body that will live forever, we will also experience the restoration of innocence. What will be restored in the kingdom of heaven? Restoration of our innocence. In the Garden of Eden, there were two trees in the middle, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In heaven, we read in Revelation, I am the Alpha and the Omega, Jesus speaking, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. There's a few other times when the tree of life is mentioned as being present in heaven. But what is never mentioned is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree is gone. That tree is not in heaven. That means we won't be able to have another fall. It won't be possible to bring another curse on the new earth because the tree isn't there. 
If the tree was there, we would always have the risk or threat of someone grabbing the fruit, uh, fruit and trying to push God off his throne. But there is no tree and there is no fruit, so there's no temptation. It's done, it's over, it's restored, and the curse has no possible way of coming back. There's not even the potential or the possibility of the curse returning. The tree of life is there. Eternal life is there. Life more amazing than we can possibly imagine is there. But the chance to ruin it isn't there. The temptation is gone on earth. If one person claps, we all have to. Thanks for getting us started, Larry. <laughs> on earth. We have the freedom to navigate our own choices and to determine our priorities and to chart our course, to figure out our belief system and our ideas of ethics and morality. And when a person repents and declares Jesus is now Lord of their life, they are freely accepting and agreeing that they don't want to wrestle through temptations and how to decide good and evil. We have learned that the right and correct thing to do is give it all over to God. We don't ever want to eat from that tree again. We don't ever want to reject God or push Him away. When we come to the point in our lives when we are ready to acknowledge Jesus is Lord, we are also ready to commit to never try and take His place again. His throne is for the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And we have all seen the disasters that happen when people try and reject His sovereignty. But in heaven, we won't have the inclination or desire to do so. That tree is gone forever. Back to Isaiah, look, I'm creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation. We won't miss the old. From this passage in Isaiah, we're assured that we won't even think about it. The temptations of earth won't follow us into eternity. The desires of the flesh and the law of the world won't be present in heaven. You won't even think about the old ones anymore. Psalm 16, beautiful words here. No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Uh, Pastor Mike and Anne are here. And this past week, they had a funeral for Josie, Anne's mom. And I spoke to Mike a few days ago, and he shared with me what his brother, my boss and hero, Pastor Randy Chiz, said to him. As Mike shared with Randy the news that Josie had passed, Randy's response was his typical response to when a believer has died. And he just said, just think about how happy she is. Just try and imagine the joy and the love and the peace and the amazement that she's experiencing right now. Just try. Just try and imagine the joy that she's feeling right now. We've got a lot more to cover in the next few weeks. But for today, I wanted to give us a starting point. I wanted us to consider what was lost. And what was lost in that fall, all the way back in Genesis 3, was enjoying creation, a relationship with God, eternal life, and innocence. But the kingdom of heaven is the ultimate story of restoration. The Bible is the story of restoration and redemption. And what is it that's fully restored in heaven? The restoration of creation, the restoration of our relationship with God, restoration of our bodies, and the restoration of innocence. 
to start understanding what heaven is like, start looking at the world around you and contemplate what has been lost, what's good about life, and how is it going to be even better in heaven? What's bad and upsetting? And what would life be like without that ever happening again? And as you gain insight, be inspired to hope of what's ahead. Be motivated to endure and live with an eternal perspective. I invite everyone to stand as I read this final scripture today. And as I read this, I hope if you're someone that has made the decision to follow Jesus, you take this personally. From the book of Titus, it says, Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed His kindness and love, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of His grace, He made us right in His sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Would you pray with me? Lord, may these not just be words on a page, but may Your Word grab a hold of us today. Lord, as we look at the world around us and all the different things that we could point to and say, that's not right, that's wrong, it shouldn't be this way, that all of it will inspire us to look forward to eternity and to just try and imagine what perfection is going to be like, how your restorative work, how you're going to restore creation, how you're going to restore fully our relationship with you. Lord, how you're going to restore our physical body so that we can indeed enjoy eternal life. Lord, and how you're going to restore innocence and temptation be gone forever. Lord, help us daydream about what it could be like to be in eternity with you. And may that drive us and inspire us to pursue a life with you. Lord, we love you, worship you, and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, everybody, let's enjoy some worship together.